0: Get ready to hear some noise tonight. You're about to go behind enemy lines with the original Blues Hockey Podcast. Let's go, Blues! This is Let's Go Blues Radio. This is season eight, episode twelve, franchise episode number one ninety eight. Two away, two hundred. Live show coming up to celebrate that fact next week. So make sure you stay tuned to us for that. Curtin Bill will be returning, so I know that's what everyone cares about because those guys are just great. I'm your host. Jeff Ponder. This is behind enemy lines the summer series of 2019. We'll get to that in a bit. First I want to thank the Wild and Free for the use of their song Fire there at the open. Also want to thank Tom Calhoun, pa guy Tom.com. The blues pa guy who does a wonderful job uh, both on and off the ring. Well, on the ring. I've never seen him play, but uh, you know what I mean. Make sure you check out the letsgoblues.com shop consider buying yourself a reasonably priced shirt, mug, or sticker all proceeds go back into the show so you're helping us out if you do that also subscribe to our show on Spotify, Apple, or Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your shows, you can also listen at letsgobluesradio.com five star ratings there on Apple Podcasts, I can't stress that enough, so thank you everybody who's already done that We actually have a lot of reviews there now, and and it's been great. So I really appreciate everybody for stepping up and doing that. Again, that uh, that helps us uh, reach more people when you do that. So thank you. Well, folks, let's get right into it. Who's ready to keep the party going? If you're unfamiliar with what Keep the Party Going is, uh, this is where you, the listener... Get to write into us at Let's Go Blues Radio. And uh you get to let us know how the championship has affected you. So if you would like to add to this segment, email us at radio at dot blues.com. That's radio at dot blues.com. I will say that we have one more lined up for next episode, and then I don't have any. So if you are wanting to get yours in, now is the time. Uh, go ahead again, email us, radio let's go blues.com, Whatever you want to talk about, how you became a fan, how the championships affected you, whatever you want to talk about. Uh, again, this uh, segment's to keep the party going in terms of, uh, hey, it's all summer, we're champions, let's celebrate. So today on Keep the Party Going, we're going to hear from Alex in Utah. Alex says... I inherited my love of the blues from my dad, who spent 10 years of his childhood in Missouri and got hooked by the three consecutive cup finals appearances. Even though I grew up in Utah, where it was uncommon to find other hockey fans and impossible to find other blues fans, I stuck with them. My first memory of the blues was Brett Hall's final year in St. Louis, followed by the start of a soul-crushing tradition every June where we watch former blues lift the cup with other organizations as Hall put his foot in the crease and his hands on Court Stanley's Cup. When we won the President's Trophy in the 99-2000 season and I saw the excitement of my dad, I got invested. I stayed up late for every game of the Shark Series and ignored my friends and homework, but Turek gave up a goal to Owen Nolan from the neutral zone in Game 7. Quick side note for me. uh, I know I've said this on the show before, but uh, that goal is, to me, just as soul-crushing As the Steve Eisnerman goal, uh, for those that have not heard me say this, that was on my birthday, my 15th birthday. My dad, that was the one present that my, my, my parents were like, okay, let's, let's get him something really cool. So they splurged, they got us, I mean, we went to games a lot, but they, my dad got me tickets. It was me and him, uh, like seven rows from the ice. Like the best, I mean, we, my dad's job used to get, uh, Tickets every now and then, you know they were they were usually pretty good seats. But like this was the one they spent the most money on. Like they actually spent their own money to take me to Game Seven of that series. We were so sure they were going to win because they had that big win in Game Six in San Jose, and uh, people were already slating the Blues to go on to play the I think it was the Stars the next round. And oh god, that was when that goal went in. Why would you jump? Why? Watch that goal. Roman Turk jumps to try and make that save. You're over six feet tall. Why are you jumping? Ugh, that's still hurts. It it doesn't hurt as much because the Blues actually won the cup now. But, oh, that one still hurts me. So I I hear you. I hear you, Alex. That's uh, that goal. Oh, my goodness. All right, back to Alex. I did the same thing in 2000-2001, wearing my Blues jersey every game day, Despite three games going into OT, we weren't ending the Ray Bork Tour of Destiny. The disappointment and cynicism continued to fester as the Blues got farther and farther away from contention. Post lockout, I had to convince myself that Jay McClement, Lee Stemniak, and Curtis Sanford could be the core to build around. With the additions of Bacchus, Oshie, Johnson, and Berglund, we finally made it back to the playoffs in 2008 2009. It meant so much to experience that run as an adult even though they got swept by Vancouver. A few years later, I went to my first Blues game, and only Blues game in St. Louis, to see game one against the Kings in 2012. Ooh, that was not a good one to see. Trangelo left the game injured, we gave up a shorthanded goal, and eventually got swept. After years of excellent regular seasons and tremendous letdowns in the first round, Troy Brower's goal in game seven against Chicago felt like a turning point. The Sharks added to our misery in the conference finals, and it was difficult to believe we could get that close again. This spring, I moved to Washington, D.C. area. So I guess I should have said Alex from Washington, D.C., and not Utah. I was fortunate enough to meet up with a Blues fan, and we were able to watch five games together leading up to the Cup Finals. After a lifetime of only interacting with Blues fans on social media, plus my dad, it was incredibly special to find a group of a dozen blues fans in alexandria virginia at mackey's bar to watch the cup finals game seven was the greatest night of my life to feel the elation of years and disappointment and frustration roll off our shoulders was fantastic i thought i would cry during the game and in the post-game celebrations but the tears didn't flow until i called my dad and he said we finally did it this was an imperfect team with bad contracts and inconsistent play and a rookie goalie and an interim coach and mediocre special teams play in the postseason, but they did it. Thank you guys. Love the show. Alex in DC. Uh, very well said, sir. Um, you must have a writing background of some type because uh, this was, this was well done. Um, yeah, the, uh, the imperfections, I think is, is, you know, it's funny because you think about these teams that, that win the Cup. Uh, you think back to the Detroit teams, even the Blackhawks teams from a couple of years ago, and, and you think, you know, there's no kinks in the armor. These are the perfect teams that go on to win. They're just perfect in every way. But but then you start, you know, you start thinking about some of these teams. You look at that last Blackhawks team that won. Uh, they had no defense behind Duncan Keith, Brent Seabrook, and Nicholas Yalmerson. Uh, Kimo Timonen was a shell of himself. And somehow they found a way to pull it out. You look at, again, bad defense. You look at the Pittsburgh teams that won recently. Uh, those were not good defensive teams. And somehow they pulled it out. The Boston Bruins in 2011. Uh, they had a terrible power play. Terrible. And they still found a way. So it's funny because, you, you know, when you're, when you're watching the other teams raise the cup, you think about how, oh, the Blues will just never play at that level because they have too many imperfections. Well, the teams that win it have plenty of imperfections too. Um, you know, he labeled them out here. Alex did, and it's just—it's—it's—it's it's, it's just you overcome those imperfections. The—the the bright spots in your team—they're going to shine. You know, and, and obviously, he said the rookie goalie, the interim coach, those really aren't imperfections. But there's something that shined for us, and um, it just I've talked to a couple different people from across the league who talk about the storylines that came with. This team, you know, obviously everything that, that happened uh, off the ring for Bobby Plager and and just you know everything that happened, and uh, but but then you you think about you know Pat Patty Maroon being such a big playoff performer uh, in his in his hometown for his first season playing in St. Louis too, and maybe only. I mean, it's going to be a legend. We're going to talk about that kind of thing for, for eons. Uh, how he was such a hometown hero. Self proclaimed hometown hero, if you saw the parade. And, you know, and then like Jordan Bennington. I mean, just there's so many great little storylines that came from this. And, you know, people could say they're imperfections, which they were, but it it was just, it made it that much more fun to watch and to witness. So, uh, Alex, thank you very much for the email. Again, uh, very well done. And uh, I I really, uh, I'm I'm glad you're able to enjoy this one because uh, it's, uh, yeah, uh, can't say it enough. Uh, Never thought we'd see it and uh finally seeing it it's it's you know you see the the car stickers out there you know like i've I literally just got in my car and i drove down the street and i saw somebody with a the, the bumper sticker uh the blue stanley cup champions which i have one too it's just so you see that and you think oh yeah yeah we did it it's it's just it's it's awesome it's so great to see well let's get into our guest this week Matt Estevez of Raw Charge, which is a SB Nation blog for the Tampa Bay Lightning. Uh, we talk Blues and Lightning. This was recorded on May 17th, so right before Game 4 of the Western Conference Finals. So the series, uh that was a 2-1 series lead going into that game for the San Jose Sharks. And of course, as we all know, the Blues went on to win the series after that. They uh took the next three games, so... Uh, Yeah, here's my talk with Matt Estevez. Today we are talking Tampa Bay Lightning, and I am joined by a gentleman with raw charge, which we'll get to in a minute. Uh, But uh, the Blues all-time record against the Tampa Bay Lightning, 43 games played, quite impressive actually for the Blues, 26-12-3-2. Obviously there were some rough years there for the Lightning when they first came in the league, but nonetheless still an impressive record. Of course, the last number of the two being overtime losses. These teams first met on October 13th, 1992. Uh, This was a 2-1 loss to the Lightning. Uh, Craig Janney had scored his first goal of the season for the Blues. It was was one of those weird, annoying games where the Lightning scored the game-winning goal as an empty net goal. There was 19-12 remaining in the third. Brian Bradley had scored. Janney scored 30 seconds later. Uh, So that made it two to one. Um, But uh, the first win for former blue Pat Jablonski as a member of the lightning, he stopped 35 of 36 shots, obviously. Oh, so close to the shutout there. But um, that's, we say that's the first meeting. That was the first regular season meeting. There was an important preseason game that we're going to talk about here in a couple minutes. But before we get to that, I want to introduce my guest. His name is Matt Estevez and he's a credentialed reporter for raw charge the tampa bay lightning sb nation site matt thanks for joining me today
1: hey how you doing jeff thanks for having me
0: i'm so happy to have you we uh we've had some great great guests here so far and um i you know we don't know when this is going to air yet but uh there's a lot to talk about with the tampa bay lightning they're definitely an interesting organization oh
1: <laughs> there's definitely lot to talk about that's for sure
0: yeah, right. <laughs> um so uh yeah, like I said there's there's a lot actually there's a lot of parallels between the Blues and the Lightning. We're going to talk about this past season uh the two meetings in brief uh a little bit later. But before we do that, I kind of uh teased it already. Big preseason season game uh that was the first meeting between these two teams when the Lightning came into the league September 23rd, 1992. And uh why is that an important game? You ask. Well, For those who don't know, Manon Rayome, the first female goaltender to to play in an NHL game. Granted, it was preseason, but that is uh, still quite the feat, uh, especially in 1992 when uh, maybe women's hockey wasn't on the map like it is today. Um, She allowed two goals on nine shots against. Uh, She played again later that uh, actually the, the next preseason in 93 against the Bruins. And then, of course, her brother, Pascal, played for the blues from 1997 to 2001 um so matt the uh everyone knows the name man in Realm. i think that's a name that that most hockey fans or players reference from time to time um you know just recently i saw an interview with her where she talked about this game and how uh stefan quintal one of the blues defensemen and even like tapped her on the leg and said congratulations on everything you've done so this was a a big deal, especially like I said back in '92. Um, so, what what's the legacy like for Ray O'Man in, in Tampa Bay? Is she a, a known commodity, or is it just kind of like a oh yeah, that's that 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 lady that started an NHL game once?
1: Well, given that I was three <laughs> when that game happened, I don't remember a whole ton about it. Now, of course, being from here, I've heard it, I've heard it about it in my adult life, uh, but I didn't really hear a whole lot when i was growing up about it aside from you know it happened but as society has evolved since 92 there's definitely a lot of people just out here in general not just hockey fans or lightning fans who are really proud of the lightning kind of stepping out of the comfort zone of the nhl and bringing in rail for something that big and just think about it like Manon rayom doing that really like was a huge foot forward for women's hockey. I mean, just look 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 at where it is now compared to back then. Like if she doesn't do that, is women's hockey where it is now? I don't you know. know. You can probably argue that it might not be it might not be what it is. But her doing that and actually acquitting herself quite well against, you know, professional hockey players was fantastic. And it and it's inspired plenty of women who are around my age now to play hockey. I mean, I'm pretty sure Hillary Knight probably saw that and said, Hey, I want to do that. You know, or yeah. Kendall Coyne saw that and said, Hey, I want to do that. Or any other female hockey player, whether it be in the United States, Canada, or, you know, maybe even some European girls saw that. But she is she's definitely an icon when it comes to women's hockey. She's not as celebrated here like overall as much as I think she should be, especially for how important she was to women's hockey. But she has she has been given nods throughout the years though.
0: Yeah, I know that um like I said, Stefan Quintal was, was one who, who went out of his way to to tell her congratulations and, and uh I've I've asked former players that were in that game for the blues. Um I did have a chance to ask one of them, you know, what was that like? Did you you know, did were you like, Oh man, take it easy, it's preseason anyway? And he said, No, no, we we treated her like she was any other goalie. We we took shots on her, we tried every type of way to score goals on her that we would with anyone else. So um, the fact that, again, like you said, the, 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 that stat line's not too bad. Two goals on nine shots against with a team that had Brett Hall playing, that's
1: not too bad. No, not at all. Not at all. And it's something that even I've encountered just in my regular playing. You know, I mean, I'm just a beer league guy, for Christ's sake. But it's even the same thing. There's plenty of women sprinkled all throughout beer leagues here. And all the guys I've played with, they don't treat the girls any differently out there. Now, I mean, there's no checking, obviously, but there is some physicality here and there when it comes to recreational slash beer league hockey. And the women's, you know, the guys do kind of let up on the women a little bit there, but it's not like they, they treat them with, with these glove hands that some people think that we do. No, we treat them just the same as any other player out there because there's some girls down here who can just skate circles around guys. I'm t- <laughs> Especially goaltenders. I've actually come across a lot of female goaltenders down here a lot and a lot of them are extremely good.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I actually, uh, I remember in, in high school being, you know, stupid jocks in high school, our, our high, our ice hockey team had a female play. Uh, we had a girl that started for us and I remember when we heard she was coming to, to play for us, we were all, Oh God, we have a, we have a girl as our starting goalie. Oh my God. She's one of the best goalies I've ever played with. I mean, she was phenomenal. She, she was athletic she was competitive. Guys went in her crease. She'd hack them. I mean, it it really taught me at a young age, they're just like anybody else. They just yep. want to play the sport like we do.
1: Yep. They're just as competitive. They're just as, they can be just as competitive, just as aggressive, just as nasty as any guy in the ice. They're yes. athletes. They, they want to win just as much as guys do just, just yes, because she was, they were born a different gender. Doesn't mean they can't play that's that's one of the most annoying things to deal with in conversations about that
0: oh yeah i mean we've we saw it a lot this year you mentioned kendall coin um and then of course in the past we've had haley wickenheiser who was playing Mm -hmm. over in europe um plenty of women that uh that have stepped in and and played with men and you know kendall coin there were so many people that i talked to that were like i didn't know that 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 anyone in women's hockey could skate like that and i'm like why don't you think that? Like they're, they're actually, she's a professionally trained athlete. <laughs> yeah, right. Like, like she's that means nothing trained. to
1: me. Like the only reason why they don't get more is because their professional hockey leagues have I don't want to say they've been poorly run, but they've just been I mean, they've had their struggles, obviously. Yes. You know, especially with the NWHL oh, wait no, which one was it? Crap. Was it the CWHL that closed it was the CWHL that closed?
0: CWHL. Yeah, yep.
1: CWHL that closed. NWHL is still open, but I actually just saw a tweet earlier today that the New Jersey Devils had just cut off their affiliation with one with I think the Riveters.
0: Oh, I didn't see that. Oh, yeah, wow.
1: it, I just saw it earlier. Yeah, it was from um, Haley Salvian. I'm actually looking at it right now. Yeah, the okay. Devils are ending their strategic relationship with Metropolitan Riveter, Riveters of the NWHL. The Devils were the first team to partner with an NWHL team in 2017 when they agreed to a three year partnership. Oh boy. Yeah, that That's was 20 minutes ago. News. That was oh 20 minutes ago.
0: Oh boy, that's uh, that's not good news. Yeah, I know there's uh, the issue with the, the players saying that they're not going to play unless they can get more money. So yeah, that's 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 an issue. And obviously, when this episode airs, this might all be old news. But um, yeah, that's that's a shame because I've seen a lot of women's hockey. I've traveled to Jersey. I've seen women, uh, the women, the NWHL, and uh, it's it's fa- it's a fantastic product. Um, they just you know,
1: need the opportunity. Yes, they do. They need their, they need the resources and the opportunity. That's what they need. You know, it's not even the whole sense of like bringing them to the NHL. I, I don't think that's ever going to happen just because of the culture of hockey in general. But they should definitely have their own league. They're professional athletes. There should be no reason why they shouldn't. And don't give me the whole nonsense. Oh, they, no one wants to see it. It's only like 100 fans in the stands. Dude, stop. You You're just throwing numbers out there and you don't know what you're talking about.
0: Well, let's face it. For me, I mean, I know there's a lot of people like me. We used to have a uh, a UHL team out here, which I say UHL, and people probably say, what the hell is that? Is that made up? United Hockey League it doesn't even exist anymore. Uh, we used to have a team out here in, in uh, St. Charles, neighboring St. Louis, and it was the lowest level hockey you would find. But, man, I, if, I didn't love going to those games and watching hockey. You know, it's, it's, and, and the women's league is much better than that, much, much better. But it's hockey. It's professional hockey. It's guys that are being competitive. Any kind of hockey is fun. Hockey to watch, you know, unless maybe it's the leagues I play in. Well,
1: I don't know. I think our <laughs> I think the leagues we play in are fun. Just you know, you got to understand it's barely hockey. It's not gonna yeah. be pretty.
0: Yeah, I always tell people like it's funny because you know I'm sure you can agree when I'm on the bench, I'm watching the play go up and down. I'm, oh man, you know we got a, we got a good jump today. You know, oh, the the other team oh, really yeah. quick, and oh, then yeah. then you walk you talk to people that are in the stands or you watch it on video and you're like, Oh my God, are, is this in slow motion?
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it always feels 10 times faster when you're on the ice. And then if you yep. ever see video of it, you're like, Oh God, I don't want to see this. No, Oh, oh I my understand. God. I, I, I can't skate. I know. Right. <laughs> uh, it's, it's a humbling thing to see that. And you're like, Oh God. Oh, Oh God. I want to see that again. <laughs>
0: Yeah, like I, I see a bad play made, you know, in the NHL, you know, maybe a defenseman trips or falls, no one's around him, and and I'll say, oh, pff, I could do better than that, but then I watch myself play, and I'm oh, maybe not,
1: <laughs> maybe <laughs> no, not. No, maybe not.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, so I do want to talk uh, a little bit more about uh, the Lightning themselves. Obviously, Ray Ohm's a big part of the start of the history of the Lightning, but um. Really, to me, when they got on the map was their big, uh, uh, obviously, the Stanley Cup win in 2004. Um, that was a big deal. The first Florida team to win a Stanley Cup, first and only, really. Um, and uh, But one of the pieces that brought that Stanley Cup in, June 21st, 2003, Corey Stillman, uh, St. Louis Blue at the time, was traded to the Lightning for a 2003 second-round pick. Now, it's funny because you look a lot of these, and, and this is more for the Blues fans listening You look at these kind of trades and, you know, years later and you say, oh, they traded that guy for a second round pick. Okay, well, this turned out to be a pretty important second round pick for the Blues. Uh, David Backus was the one that was picked with that pick from the Lightning. So uh, he turned out to be a pretty important piece for the Blues for a couple of years there. So uh, good drafting, I guess, from uh, I believe that was when Jarmo Kikalainen was still running things for the Blues. Uh, But anyway, so for the Lightning, Corey Stillman uh joins the team, and the next year he, you you're obviously you had lecavalier richards um you know uh martin saint louis plenty of offensive juggernaut pieces, but you got Stillman as a member of the uh the kind of the the lower tier offense the bottom six uh how important was he for that that Stanley cup
1: win I mean you say bottom six he had eighty points <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, he you had, look it, at that roster. Yeah, he had 80 <laughs> points in 81 games for us that year. And then he contributed seven in 21 on the way to the Cup. But Stillman was like, you know, he really did supplement the depth offense on that team. We were led by LeCat and Martin Saint-Louis, um, <clears throat> which was behind the leadership of Dave Anderchuk. I and mean, we had Ruslan Fedotenko. We had Dan Boyle, Pavel Kubina, Nikolai Khabibu. Now, that was a loaded team back then in oh three oh four. And it's just kind of, uh, it's just disappointing that... The lockout happened the next season and Tampa couldn't really mount an actual defense on that. No yeah. funny thing is um Corson was only with the Lightning for a season. And then when he when the NHL started back up, guess what team he was with? What team was that? Carolina. And he went to win the cup with Carolina the very next The NHL that. season, right. yeah. He went to Carolina for three seasons and that first season they went and won the cup. In that season he had twenty five points in twenty three games. He was huge wow. for them that's uh Huge that's, for them. that's
0: impressive but how about yeah, that he, he, was, he was that i that's crazy back-to-back cups basically Then, for yeah him.
1: back-to-back cups for him well no for idea. him technically even though it's not technically back-to-back seasons but they technically are because of that missed season in 04 05 yeah. but yeah still, like i said stillman was a great ad for the lightning to really bolster their depth i mean we say depth the guy had 80 points in the 81 games in the dead puck era for christ's sake that's yeah. great
0: yeah, he was uh he was a good bottom six piece for the Blues and, and again we say bottom six but he probably could have played anywhere in the lineup. Uh he played on a line I remember a third third line for the Blues in uh the 2001 playoffs with uh Mike Eastwood and Scott Mellenby. and that was one of the most god, enjoyable lines to watch. That's a
1: name I ever heard in a long time, Scott Mellonby. Oh my god. Yeah,
0: yeah, that was that was when um when he was really kind of a huge fan favorite here in St. Louis. He had yeah. just come here to trade, and, um, yeah, that line was fun to watch. I mean, Mike Eastwood was one that that uh, uh, fans love to hate, but you put those three together, and they were crashing, banging, scoring goals. I mean, oh, I remember yeah. Stillman had a huge goal against, uh, I think it was Dallas game three in overtime to put the Blues up 3 nothing. I mean, so Stillman's very fondly remembered here as well, and, and I'm sure that, um, you know, anytime you talk about those – stanley cup players i'm sure when his name comes up it's remembered fondly as well oh yeah he most definitely is um so uh yeah i want to talk a little bit more about another player that uh played for both franchises and uh this is one that 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 i've got a friend who's a lightning fan and uh let's just say this name gets tossed around a lot as a joke uh february 18th 2011 uh the blues had traded their captain eric brewer to the lightning for a 2011 third round pick and the rights to one of my favorite names ever Brock Bukaboom. Uh, Of course, I do believe he's might be Jeff Bukaboom's son, or I do believe they're related. I don't remember how, Uh, but uh, again, you talk about the second round pick in the last trade that we talked about was David Backus. This is something that I was doing research for this show with you. And I thought, oh, the Blues got a, uh, a 2011 third-round pick. That's right. Who did they draft with that pick? And I looked it up. Oh, my God, it was Jordan Biddington. So you can actually map back Jordan Bennington all the way back, and this is, again, more for the Blues people listening, uh, to Brendan Shanahan, which is crazy, because uh, the Blues signed Shanahan in 92. They trade him for Pronger, Pronger for Brewer, Brewer for Bennington. It's uh, pretty crazy how that chain worked out. So trade uh, trades are
1: fantastic.
0: <laughs> it's it's great. Um, didn't didn't I? Ju- I think I didn't. They just say that the final piece of the Gretzky trade from uh, Edmonton. I don't remember who it was, but it just stopped playing finally. Did it? Yeah, yeah. It was it was a draft pick, um, and it was a guy that I don't think ever played in the NHL, but I think he was playing in Europe. I could be wrong, but I thought I read that somewhere. I'm probably completely I, making that up. People are probably listening going, What the hell is he talking about? I, I'd have
1: to go dig into that, but that'd be <laughs> wild if that's true.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, anyway, so, uh, so yeah, this, uh, this trade, Eric Brewer, that was, I mean, I'll, we'll be candid here. Uh, Eric Brewer was not liked by St. Louis fans. Um, he was kind of the, the, uh, the punching bag for blues fans of that, that, those, that terrible era of blues hockey. Um, Partially not his fault because he was traded for what everyone con- would consider one of the top fan favorites ever Chris Pronger. So kind of came into a lose-lose situation for him, but uh, kept getting thrust up into the top pairing. Uh, just not a top minute eater really. And uh, just, again, kind of unfair to him, but they move him to Tampa. And then I remember he signed an extension almost right away with the lightning. uh What uh, what were the thoughts when that trade went through? Did you guys know of the hate of Eric Brewer or were you thinking you were getting a pretty solid defenseman? Both. Like,
1: (laughs) I mean, people who were into with hockey more than just just their team kind of understand how some fan bases feel about players on other rosters. Not everyone, but with Brewer, some some of us understood the whole, you know, the hate that a lot of Blues fans put on him, which I kind of agree it wasn't really his fault. Um, one, he was never on offensive defensive to begin with, if we're being honest. Two, um, that was a pretty rough era for the Blues, if we're being honest. But then it comes to Tampa, and we signed him to that extension, and that extension got really bad really quick. He was good for essentially a year and a half, maybe two years tops. Um, because once we... Uh, oh, man. Brewers don't remember Folly Let's leave it at that. Because he was just wholly ineffective, and just a weight on the team that we just were very lucky to get rid of um in the 2014-2015 season which is the year we made the Stanley Cup final and lost to the Blackhawks but um Brewer was fine for the 11-12 season and for the schlock shortened season he was I would kindly say he was adequate enough and then the 13-14 season the 14 15 season we just he was just not good at all like age had gotten to him by that point and he was just not an effective defender in the nhl which you saw when we traded him in fourteen fifteen 15 to anaheim and he couldn't cut it in anaheim then he goes to toronto and barely does anything in toronto so it's like you, you, you get traded three times in one season especially as an aging defenseman that's not good it's no. just, just not good at all
0: No, he, uh, he was a little slow foot. And again, it's, um, you know, he was probably put in some situations I'm sure in Tampa where he was kind of doomed and, uh, not not able to really succeed, but that was definitely the story in St. Louis. Uh, they kept pitching him as a number one defenseman and, uh, that's just not who he was. He was a depth guy at that point in his career. Um, but, uh, but yeah, once he got to Anaheim, Toronto, I remember seeing a game of him playing with Toronto and, uh, jumping on Twitter while he was out there and, Somebody saying, "Oh my God, Eric Brewer's still in the league." (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. he
1: is. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, he is. It's uh, yeah, he's not remembered fondly. Let's just leave it at that. (laughs) He's just not. I mean, he was he wasn't put in the same position that he was in St. Louis compared to here because we had Victor Hedman, but he was still basically touted as like a like a as like a you know borderline two three. Four, three guy when he's more of like a four five six guy. And it just, I mean, he was okay for like, like I said, maybe a year tops. And after that, it was just, okay, this guy's just not, he's just, he's not the defenseman that you need in today's NHL. Or, well, at that point, in, you know, in 13, 14 and 15, that's when really a lot of teams started motioning towards getting defensemen that can move the puck and transition really well up the ice. And that's just not Brewer's game. That was never his
0: game. Right. Yeah. I think all Blues fans would agree with you there. Yeah. Um, so uh, I, I want to talk a little bit more about somebody who's uh, a current member of the Tampa Bay Lightning. A little St. Louis connection for those that St. Louis may not even realize it. Uh, John Cooper, the head coach of the Tampa Bay Lightning, spent uh, well, he spent many years with the Bandits organization. First in uh, Texarkana, and then when Texarkana moved here to St. Louis, uh, that's uh, in the NAHL. That's the North American Hockey League Uh kind of for uh, the, uh, the, the, the younger players, the, the players that are still NHL hopefuls. Um, he actually coached two years here in St. Louis. Both years won the NAHL Coach of the Year, and his team captured the Robertson Cup both years. So obviously, uh, I think at the time, I remember seeing stories written about him that he's the, uh, the co- kind of the coach in waiting. Eventually, we will see him in the NHL. Well, lo and behold, he gets with the Lightning, and uh, that was in, um, I believe, in 2013, right? Was that when he was hired?
1: Oh, I'm I put you on the spot. I always I confuse his year. Let me double check. I always confuse his year, because I always, I always mess that one up. He was hired, yeah, March 25th, 2013.
0: Yep, okay. So yeah, 2013, he's hired... Now I know that at first he was loved and then it seemed like he was hated, then he was loved, now he's hated again. Uh, what's what's the take right now on John Cooper?
1: Right now there's a take on Cooper should have been fired after the Lightning's embarrassing sweep um in the first round of this year's playoffs, but it's just it's nothing more than just fandom just getting in their own heads and thinking that there's something better on the horizon when what like in my, my, my thing is you fire Cooper, who are you gonna hire? who are you going to hire you know what you're going to hire ben grew from syracuse he's an unproven nhl coach still a good coach yes but you really going to do that it was different when cooper came in cooper came into a team that just wasn't good you know and it just made an eastern conference final and then bombed the next season um with gie and then they gave b boucher another half season to try to figure things out it still didn't work and they booted them and then cooper came in and basically got to re got to go through a rebuild with the lightning and i mean just just look at what Cooper's done since he's arrived, okay? We omit the 12-13 season when he first took the reins. He only he only coached uh, 16 games. In 13-14, they won 46 games, made the playoffs, lost in the first round to the Montreal Canadiens by getting swept, but they were decimated by injuries pretty much everywhere on that lineup. 14-15, they won 50 games. They go all the way to the final, and if it wasn't for um, two injuries to two impact forwards, they probably could have won that series 15 16 they make the conference finals lose to the eventual champion um penguins 16 17 decimated by injuries and inconsistent play they missed the playoffs last season they made the conference finals again lose to the eventual Stanley Cup champions in the Washington Capitals this year is their first real big disappointment after a record-setting season do you really want to fire that because people are like I'm so tired of the disappointment I'm so tired of of choking I'm like you choke in the first or second round you make the conference finals or the Stanley Cup final, like you're in, you're in the fight. Like you're mm-hmm. there. Like that's not choking. Like it's not what the Capitals did where the Capitals couldn't get out of the second round for years. Like this is a team that has made three conference finals in the past, what, one, two, three, four, five years and a Stanley Cup final. It's still got all of their best players under 30. I mean, it's going to get a really, really rough year soon, but. Cooper's resume speaks for itself. The guy knows how to get there. Now, there are criticisms of Cooper in the sense that he is a, he is stubborn, like every NHL coach. Show me an NHL coach that's not stubborn. Mm-hmm. But he's stubborn in the sense that he doesn't adapt to what the other team is doing. Like A perfect example is game one against Columbus, where Tampa comes out and punches Columbus square in the mouth, 3-0 in, in the first period. And then Columbus battles back. Columbus adapted. Columbus changed the way they were forechecking from the second period on. And Tampa just... They didn't really adapt until it was far too late. It's one thing when the message is stick to our game and all that type of stuff, but in the playoffs, you've got to be a little more aggressive when it comes to altering things because Columbus's 1-2-2-4 checking style really limited what the Lightning could do when it came to transitioning the puck up the ice, especially when almost all their defensemen, except for two, Victor Hedman and Mikhail Sergachev, were dumping the puck down the ice just trying to get it out of there. You know, And Hedman clearly was hurt in Game 1 and Game 2, and he was nowhere near as good as he should have been and then you have all the rest of the defensemen just dumping the puck and not making good, clean passes. and Then the forwards overcommitting, and a whole litany of things that just coalesced into one of the most embarrassing flameouts of a Presidents Trophy team that we've ever seen. So I get the frustration with Cooper. I mean, I'm frustrated, but I'm not calling for his head. You know, I'm not calling for his head or anything like that. The man has consistently made this team better. Who are you gonna who, who, who are you gonna get? You know, Qu- Joe Quenville already got a job. He was the only coaching guy out there who you can possibly even think of. And he got his job before the playoffs even started. So it's like it, the grass isn't always greener on the other side. Right. Yeah, we,
0: we as hockey fans always seem to forget that. Um, you mentioned Joel Quinville. I wanted to ask you, with the Panthers bringing in Quinville and the Panthers kind of being an underperforming team, as everybody kind of expects them to be battling for the playoffs every year, uh, is there a, any any nerves right now that Florida might step up their game this season?
1: No, because for pretty much the entirety of Florida's existence they've been an afterthought. And that's not me being like salty or like mean to Florida. That's just me being honest. Like there's not really a rival between Florida fans and Tampa fans because Tampa's been the better team throughout its entire existence compared to Florida. And that's not necessarily Florida's fault. It's more so they've had inept management, which is combined with inept decision making, which has then also been inept coaching on most times. I still don't understand why they fired Galant. Um But in in essence, I hope Quenville makes Florida worth a damn because it's kind of annoying that people are like, oh, the battle for Florida. And people down here are like, there's no such thing as battle for Florida. It's just whatever. It's like a friendly, ha-ha, okay, cool, whatever. Like there's no hate between Florida and Tampa. It's just, well, okay, cool. You've just been bad, and it's nice to see you win once in a while. And the good thing about Florida is they have pieces now. Like they have good offensive pieces. Their defense is nowhere near as good as it should have been. So hopefully Quenville can – do can at least put some kind of um strategy out there for them that they can actually be good because it's 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 apparent that egbot isn't there isn't a real number one he's like a a really good number two not really a number one and then well their goaltending has been a complete mess with luongo and reimer over there and if they can sign what they're rumored to sign is sergey that will definitely help them but again until florida proves otherwise I, i florida's to me is just a it's just a nuisance that we have to deal with until they actually prove they're going to be consistently good. So, what about the years that they have been good?
0: The year they won the, um, the I guess it was the Southeast time when they won the division. Um, and, then,
1: and then they lost in the first round to, I believe, the Devils?
0: Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. Yep. Yeah, because that,
1: um, yeah, that was the year the Devils made the Cup final and lost in six games to the Kings.
0: Yep, that's right. So um, what about those years, though? I mean, there, there's no real hate between Tampa and, and, and well, I guess, Miami or Sunset fans? No, fans.
1: It, no, because like I said, when, when Florida's only been good essentially two real times in their entire existence. When they made the cup final way back in the 90s against Colorado, yeah. and they got swept. And the only thing that's remembered about that series is that epic multiple overtime game. That's the only thing that's remembered about that series well, against Colorado. And then they made the playoffs um, that year when they lost to New Jersey, then they made it another year when they played the Islanders. And that's when John Tavares got the Islanders, their first playoff series within like 20 years or something like that. I believe it was, it was either 20 years, a little over 20 or a little under 20. I can't remember exactly, but that's essentially been Florida's highlights. That's literally been their highlights. Tampa has at least been a team that's actually made the playoffs far more consistently and has actually been to multiple cup finals and has actually won a cup final. Yeah,
0: that's true. Um, so I did want to talk to you about uh, more recent happenings uh, and more, more importantly, this season, uh, the blues actually beat the lightning in, in both meetings. Now you might look at the playoff picture. Now um, we're recording this on, uh, on May 17th. So the blues are in the midst of the Western conference final. There's four teams left Tampa Bay knocked out in the first round, but you look at the the records though, of these teams and in Tampa, I mean, you know, as well as anyone running away with the league this year. So when the blues were able to beat them in both meetings, uh, Jordan Bennington playing in both and having great games against both. Um, especially the, the first game in Tampa when he got the shutout against them, uh, there was a one nothing win on February 7th and then a four, three blues win on March 23rd. That was the one where the blues scored three goals and 75 seconds in the first period. um, Just what was it about those two games? I mean, I know that it's kind of a a question in a nutshell, but um, if you could pinpoint why the Blues were able to defeat what was the best team in the regular season, both meetings, which I don't know if any other team really did this year.
1: Um, Columbus, I'm sorry. St. Louis has always been a thorn in Tampa side throughout their entire history as a franchise. Columbus, I mean, ah, St. Louis has always been a team that has consistently beaten Tampa Bay more than Tampa has beaten them. Even when St. Louis was kind of struggling at times and Tampa was a slightly bit more on the upside. Um, Tampa would still lose. And then when Tampa started the rise in 14, 15, 15, 16, and so on, e- even when they still played the blues, they would still lose. But that's also the point when the blues were really kind of hitting their, their prime of the back of years. Um, but it's it's kind of strange. There's some franchises that teams just always struggle with, and it seems like St. Louis is one of those teams that Tampa just just struggles with oddly. And when it comes to those games, um, I'm the I'm the credential reporter for the for Raw Charts, so I actually I'm at all the home games, and I was there for that 1-0 shutout. And in all essence, it really felt like Bennington was just standing on his head for a, a good portion of that game. It was I'm not to say like the Blues played bad. I thought the Blues played fine. It's just there was a lot of great chances Tampa Bay got, and Bennington just said no. You know, And it was a one nothing game. Like Both goaltenders played a fantastic game. It was just one of those goaltending duels that Biddington won. And then the other game was just... To me, that, that other game that, t- uh, that St. Louis won 4-3 was a prototypical lightning game against the Blues. They they play them close, but for some reason, the Blues just always somehow find an edge. It's really strange. <laughs> it really is. The, uh,
0: you mentioned the first game, and, and uh, that was an overtime win, by the way, for the Blues, for so those who don't remember... Braden Shen scored uh, uh, on a, a wrist shot through the legs of Vasilevsky, and I remember saying when that goal went in, Vasilevsky had a great game. You mentioned a, a great goalie performance that Binnington came out on top, but Vasilevsky had a hell of a game. And I remember just that goal goes in, and I say, "That's the one he's given up."
1: Really, like that's yep. that's the one. I mean, that's hockey, man. <laughs> Let's yeah, be honest, it is. That's hockey. Yep. It's always like all every time when it's a goaltending duel, it's always the, the weird goal that goes in. You're like, really? Yeah, that's the one that goes in.
0: Hey, Blues you know? fans can speak to that more than anyone. You know, it, the the playoff losses these teams have had. I mean, you look at uh, Roman Turek winning the Jennings in 99, 2000, and then some of the goals he gave up to the San Jose Sharks. I mean, a red line goal, a one where his own teammate threw with the puck in the net. We've been there. We know what it's like. <laughs> yep, yep. yep.
1: Um,
0: so I do want to ask you one more thing about goaltending. Um, the uh, and and this is kind of going back a little bit because Ben Bishop has uh, not been with the Lightning for a couple of years. But uh, if you're unaware, he is a St. Louis kid, uh, former also Blues draft pick. Um, he's I want to say before the the Dallas series this past off postseason, he was uh, a beloved here. I do still think he is, but because of some of his diving shenanigans in that series, I think it's a little bit more maybe not so much love. Maybe we'd all just kind of like him a little bit. Uh, <laughs> what's uh, I mean, I, I still support everything he does. I think he's a great goalie, one of my favorites, and obviously I'm going to support the St. Louis kid every chance I get. But what's what's he remembered like in Tampa Bay? Was he a, Was he a fan favorite, or was he somebody that said, He's just the guy to get us to Vasilevsky. Oh,
1: no. He was absolutely a fan favorite. Everyone loved Ben here. Everyone did. And they still love him to this day. When he came back after signing with the Stars for his first game back in Emily Arena, he got a standing ovation. He got a video tribute and everything. Like, he was huge for this organization. I mean, he had plenty of records for Tampa before we we traded him to L.A. That year we missed the playoffs in 16-17. He is by far one of the most beloved players in Lightning history, especially of this era of Lightning hockey. And he always gets a big cheer whenever Dallas comes to town or anything like that. The fans absolutely love him. They actually appreciate everything he did for them during the regular season and also in the playoffs where he was massively clutch. I mean, you saw it against your team. Bishop is a fantastic goaltender. He really is. And he alone probably could have won that series if Dallas had a little more offense, offensive punch, and actually tried to control the game instead of getting walked on by the Blues in Game Seven.
0: Yeah, that's true. That is true. My God, Game Seven was shocking to see the Dallas offense just kind of lay back and let the Blues come at them. So it was that was a Ben Bishop performance for the ages. I think that's one that Stars fans and even Blues fans are going to remember for a very long time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right, so this is uh, this has been awesome. I, I really appreciate you coming on, Matt. Um, I want to give you plenty of time here at the end to uh, tell our listeners how they can find you, um, how they can interact with you, where they can check out Raw Charge on the Internet. Um, so, yeah, anything like that that you want to promote right now, here's your moment, sir.
1: Oh, joy! I get to be my own salesman. Oh, that's right. I love it. Well, as you guys know, my name is uh, Matthew Estevez. I prefer to be called Matt, but, you know, professionalism requires me to say my full name. Right, Regardless, um, I write for Raw Charge, which is, the blog, which is the lightning blog of the SB Nation Network. Um, I'm their credential reporter, so I'm the guy who gets to go to all the games and basically play reporter and all that type of stuff. Um, other things to plug, let's see here. You can find me on Twitter at Matt Estevez, SBN. My last name is spelled E-S-T-E-V-E-S. I tweet a variety of things. Um, it's mostly hockey, but I do tweet some pop culture things every now and then. I'm a nerd, so if you don't like <laughs> nerd stuff, don't, don't even bother. If you don't like Game of Thrones, you don't like anime stuff, you don't like you know Star Wars or Lord of the Rings or Harry Potter or all those sort of things, you might as well just not follow me because that's just what I'm into. So if you don't like it, uh, well, just don't follow me. <laughs> um, but if you like, if you, like enjoying, if you enjoy talking about that stuff and hockey stuff in general, by all means, follow me, banter with me, and stuff like that. I love talking to people. It's, it's fantastic to talk to people and get different perspectives. And things like that. Um, I know you wanted to know about the collapse and stuff like that, and I briefly touched on it. But um, I'll send you a link, like through Twitter DM, so that way you can uh, showcase it whenever this episode comes out. But I wrote um, a an entire article breaking, well, not really breaking down, but really providing the big points that led to the Lightning's embarrassing sweep against the Columbus Blue Jackets for SB Nation, the site itself. Like it was the mother site. They asked me to do this. Um, that came out a few days after. The playoff series ended. It actually got great responses from people and great numbers as well. So I will send that to Jeff so that way he can share it with all of you so you can read it and see how my analysis breaks it all down outside of that. Um, I also have my own podcast, which is called Charged up or raw charge pockets it 's currently on hiatus, given um, some, mechan- some technological difficulties i 'm encountering at the moment with my recording software that I have to get fixed over the summer. Um, but, well, that's the life of a broke college kid, sadly. <laughs> <laughs> I hear you. But once I get it back online, I'll be sure to um, let Jeff know, I'll probably have him swing on and guest on it so we can banter some more and he can share it with you guys then. But other than that, I think that's about it.
0: <laughs> cool. Yeah, I, uh, I, I wrote a note to myself to remember to, to share this article when uh, when I post this episode. But if you are hearing this right now, go to uh, twitter.com uh, slash u slash jponder 94 uh, look me up. I have this posted. I will also have the Let's Go Blues Radio account posted as well. Um, if you're hearing this and those links are not there, tweet me and remind me because I might have forgotten. So we're talking two months in the future right now. So it's uh, the memory's not so good. A lot, lot of a uh, lot of beers on on the podcast that uh, have have wrecked the memory a little bit.
1: Always beers.
0: <laughs> Always beers. <Always. laughs> yeah, good to hear that you're a you're kind of a beer connoisseur. So uh, that's part of the the fun of our show we have a beer of the episode everyone so um i'll have to have you on and i know you're friends with uh taylor from defending big d I have to have both you guys on at some time. we'll we'll talk beer and hockey for a full episode
1: oh that that's gonna be fantastic yep well we now that i now that i said it on the episode it's gotta happen <laughs> you're gonna regret it too because taylor and i are gonna like go off on huge tangents <laughs> <laughs> i look forward to it <laughs> all right well hey thanks a lot again matt it was a great time thanks jeff Thank you.
0: Well, I want to thank Matt for coming on again. Uh, Twitter handles for the show. You can find us on Twitter, the show Twitter, at LGB Radio. And again, like I said last week, uh, make sure you uh, check us out on Instagram and Facebook as well. Kurt Price can be found at Kurt Price, Bill Days at Billy Blue Note, and myself, Jeff Ponder, can be found at Ponder94. Now, again, a little programming note for you all. Next episode, uh, Thursday, August 1st, Dan Stevenson of the Fireside Chat. We talk Blues and Flames, which, uh, is actually kind of fun because you think about, uh, uh, you know, the, the trades these teams have made. Brett Hall, Al McInnes, um, and then, uh, you know, we talk Roman Turek, of course, comes up again, uh, Grant Fure but it's uh yeah there's uh there's there's a lot of interesting notes from the blues and flames history that uh, Dan and I touch on and so the programming notes to so keep in mind uh if you saw the schedule that I've been tweeting out uh every now and then for the summer series uh we uh we will be pushing back the the next week's episodes uh so they will be coming out next week we don't have I don't know exactly when but uh, obviously, our next show is our 199th episode, so for our 200th, we will be doing a live show sometime next week. Um, I'm going to say it's Monday, Tuesday, or Wednesday. I don't know if we've specifically nailed that down yet, but we will announce that this week. So we uh, we encourage audience participation. So we record live uh, about 9, 9.15-ish, uh, whatever night we choose and it's on YouTube, so we will tweet out the links, we will uh, share on Facebook, so if you follow us on social media, you'll be able to find those. We, uh, again, we, we encourage listener participation, so make sure you tune in for that. Um, so that will be uh, early next week, and then uh, we will also, probably later in the week, uh, be releasing the New York Islanders and the Colorado Avalanche uh, episodes, which uh, which are slated for August 5th and August 8th, but... Again, that will probably change. So keep that in mind, but stay tuned to us. uh, And in the next show, which uh, will be this upcoming Thursday, I will make sure to uh, have a date set for you on when the, the live show is. So make sure you are tuned in for that one next week. Well, that will conclude this episode. Thanks, everybody, for listening. And until next time, everyone, let's go Blues. Play Gloria. Thanks for listening to the Hockey Show Blues Report of the Week. Have a great day.